All right, guys, welcome. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts this morning. And one of the themes we've seen throughout Acts is that ordinary people are filled with courage as they're filled with God's Spirit and sent out on mission by Him. I think one of the most important things that we can learn as Christians is how to live in the presence of God throughout our daily lives with this kind of courage. This is something I'm trying to instill in my kids. And so my kids are, to varying degrees, afraid of the dark, afraid there's monsters under their bed. And so their lack of courage will come out often at night. And so the last thing that I say to my kids before I leave their room on a regular basis is that Jesus is with you. But my kids are pretty smart, and so they'll kind of stop me, and they'll be like, where? I don't see him. Where is Jesus? And I think what's true about my kids is they're just more honest than most of us are, right? We often can feel that way. As we go through our day, it's like, okay, you're going to tell me that Jesus is present with me, but I often feel like, where? Is he? I think what we see throughout Scripture, specifically in the book of Acts, is that as we step out in obedience to follow Jesus, it is confirmed in us that this promise is true, that Jesus is with us, he's present with us, living in us by his Spirit. So what we're going to see in this text is actually a real-life example of someone who was walking in obedience, and we're going to see that Jesus' presence gives us courage through the Apostle Paul's life. So we're covering a bunch of chapters, but we had to narrow it down because it would have taken me 15 minutes to read it all. And so we're going to look at a portion of this passage in the book of Acts, and we're going to see three ways that Jesus' presence gives us courage. So the first way is Jesus' presence gives us the courage to speak truthfully. So we're in Acts chapter 22. We're looking at verses 17 through 22 to start. It says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Okay, so the context of this is Paul is back in Jerusalem. If you remember last week, we talked about Paul, how Paul was making every effort that he could to love and to serve the Jewish people. And there was a portion of them that were impacted by that, but there was a large majority of them who didn't really want anything to do with what the Apostle Paul was saying. So he's, at this point, in the process of being arrested. 
but he gets this unique opportunity in the midst of being arrested to share his testimony. So he's got this captive audience of people who absolutely hate him and want him dead. And Paul takes the opportunity to walk them through the gospel message from the perspective of his story. And there's a couple important elements in that story that he includes in this section. He talks about the testimony of God's grace. So he's talking about how Jesus showed up to him and showed him the gospel, even though he was turning away from him. And then Jesus sends him out on this mission, and he says that the Jews are not going to accept Paul's testimony. He says, first of all, the Jews are not going to accept your testimony. And then second of all, he tells him to go far away to the Gentiles. And it's at this point when he recaps this for his audience that they say, rid the earth of them. We don't want anything to do with them. And the question really is, why are they so mad that he is talking about bringing this message of the gospel to the Gentiles. You have to know a little bit about where they are. So they're in Jerusalem, and there was actually a literally literal dividing wall in the temple between where Jews could go and where Greeks could go. And there's actually a stone that is currently in um, this museum in Israel, and they call it the Temple Warning Inscription. And it's actually 2,000 years old, and it was in the temple. And this is what this stone says, translated into English. No foreigner may enter within the balustrade. By the way, a balustrade, I had to look it up. It's like a railing on top of little posts. No, may, no one may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he put the blame for the death which will ensue. In other words, there's this inner court in the temple that Greeks may not enter. And so Jews, over the years, had become very proud that they were God's chosen people and that they thought they had this special all-access pass to God. And so here's what Paul's saying. The gospel is for the whole world. The gospel is for both the Jews and Gentiles. In other words, everyone comes to God not on the basis of their ethnicity, but on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. So here's the way that John Stott puts it. He's a commentator. He says, In their eyes, proselytism, that is making Gentiles into Jews, was fine, but evangelism, making Gentiles into Christians without first making them into Jews, was an abomination. Here's why. It was tantamount to saying that Jews and Gentiles were equal, for they both needed to come to God through Christ, and that on identical terms. So the reason 
that this crowd is calling for the death of the Apostle Paul is because he says that the way of salvation is through Jesus alone. And the Jews were so used to putting people into two different categories based on race and ethnicity that they couldn't wrap their minds around people being saved by grace and not being saved by the law. Isn't it true that we all sort of have this tendency to put people into different categories? And we want to be on the right side, and we want there to be a wrong side. And part of the reason for that is because we want to justify ourselves. We want to feel like we're better than somebody else. And along comes the Apostle Paul and he says, nope, that's not what it's all about. We all come to God through Jesus. I remember being kind of hit upside the head by this reality when I was in eighth grade. I went on a mission trip, and we were painting houses and serving people in different ways. And at one point on the trip, one of the youth leaders pulled me aside, and they said, Drew, I know that you come from a Christian family, but I'm not seeing evidence of Jesus at work in your life. I remember being like, but I grew up in a Christian family. And I realized in that moment that I had sort of taken for granted that I was a Christian and really had to, for the first time, wrestle with what Christianity really was. So I had the option either to get mad and say, forget you, of course I'm a Christian, or to really wrestle with what was going on in my life. And if it was really true, if there was legitimacy to what was being said. Guys, Paul had this type of courage to approach this audience that he knew would be hostile to his message because he had been changed by the grace of God. See, what happens when the grace of God intersects your life and you know that you are not saved by your works and that Jesus is present with you, not because you're a good person, but because he's a loving and kind Savior, you are able to speak truthfully to other people because you are freed from their opinion of you. And I'm so thankful that that youth leader had been freed from my opinion of him. Because God used that critical conversation in my life to change me. Maybe there was someone in this crowd who's yelling at Paul for him to be arrested who ended up reflecting on what he said and turned around in their life. But God is calling us all as Christians to speak in this way regardless of the consequences. Okay, so additionally, in the process of being arrested... In being hated by the Jews, Paul shows the courage to challenge authority. 
What's the next point? So this is what happens next, starting with verse 25. He um, is brought in by the Roman officials, and without even asking him why the Jews are mad at him, they stretch him out to flog him, to get information out of him. So this is what it says. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Okay, so things start to escalate really quickly, right? Paul is being pulled in initially to get arrested. He gets this opportunity to share his testimony with the Jewish people. Then he's pulled inside without being asked anything. They just say, he probably won't give us the real information, so let's just flog him. So you imagine being in Paul's situation. You're stretched out. Your hands are bound. There's a person who's got a lot of authority in the government holding a leather whip with pieces of bone on the end of it, sharp rocks and other like pieces of glass and, and those sort of things. And they have exposed your back and they're about to lash you 40 times, which often killed people by just taking these pieces of bone and, and rock and, and things, digging them into your back and sort of exposing your flesh one lash at a time. And then to me, the conversation sort of, becomes amusing, right? It's like Paul is, is stretched out. And I don't know about you, but at this point, I'd be like, please don't hit me. Please don't hit me. Like, I don't know that I would have had the presence of mind that he had in that moment. And he just very calmly, it seems like, says to them, he, do, he doesn't even make a statement, right? He just asks this question. Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And, and the guy's just like, wait a sec, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I'm a Roman citizen. And they end up having this very, like, cordial conversation. And I'm sitting there going, how is Paul able to, to keep this sort of level head when something's so terrifying is happening around him? Guys, again, Jesus is with Paul. He's walking with him. At the end of the passage that we're looking at in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, this is the way that Jesus states it. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, 
so you also must testify in Rome. Because Paul cares more about the voice of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, Jesus' presence with him, he is able to directly challenge someone who determines, in a sense, whether he lives or whether he dies. By asking the question, he's taking a risk that ends up paying off, but he didn't know that in the moment. Now, none of us will likely, at any point in our life, have anyone stretch us out and threaten to flog us. But we all, without exception, have non-Christian authorities in our life who, whether it's overt or it's sort of a silent expectation, there's this reality that we're being told not to speak up. Not to challenge their authority. Certainly not to share the gospel around them or in their presence. And I think what Paul shows us here is how to conduct ourselves in a world that is opposed to God. Because I think what's true of many of us is we would rather not rock the boat. We would rather just sort of have a comfortable Christian life and just sort of submit to the ungodly authorities around us. And because of that, our witness is being obscured for Jesus. I was reminded of this um, the other day. I was, I was listening to a book. It's called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about um, this problem that was happening in, on Korean airlines. Okay, So there's basically in, in Korea, there's something called the honor culture. And so way more than in America, there is respect shown for authority, almost to an unhealthy level. And so they noticed that there were many more plane crashes happening in Korea than anywhere else in the world. And there was one specific plane crash that Malcolm Gladwell sort of investigated. And they had the black box, so they had a recording of the conversation between the pilot and co-pilot before the plane crashed. And what was really interesting was that it was obvious at one point that the plane would inevitably crash. So it was like the plane was 200 feet from the ground. Keep in mind, there'd been the super long conversation between the pilot and co-pilot, but the co-pilot is sitting next to the pilot, and he's in a very calm voice saying, the plane is 200 feet from the ground. The plane is 150 feet from the ground. The plane is 100 feet from the ground. The plane is 50 feet from the ground. And then that's the last thing that's recorded because the plane crashed into a mountain. 
And Malcolm Gladwell's looking at the situation and he's saying, what's true of the Korean culture is that they would rather die than disappoint an authority in their life. And I think for some of us, what's true is we would rather die than challenge an authority in our lives, even an authority who is telling us to listen to them rather than to listen to Jesus. And I think what Paul is showing us in this text is how to live a different type of life where we're more aware of Jesus' opinion of us than we are of anyone else's opinion of us. Where we have a type of courage, not that is obnoxious, but is calm, cool, and collected in very difficult circumstances because we see the opportunity that we have to share the gospel with those around us as greater than pleasing people in our lives. Okay, so the story goes on. See what happens is, because he said he's a Roman citizen, Roman citizens have to go through a pretty extensive trial before they could ever be flogged. So you can't flog a Roman citizen. So they're like, okay, what's the next step that we can take since we can't do this since Paul is a Roman citizen? And we see in this next section, Paul show the courage to act shrewdly as they bring him before the Sanhedrin. So starting with verse 6 of chapter 23, it says, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Okay, so Paul now has been brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling assembly. And the goal that the Romans have in putting him before the Sanhedrin is they simply want to hear, what's the big deal? What is going on with this guy? Why are you saying that he's deserving of death? And so Paul knows, as he's put in this situation, there's a possibility that the Sanhedrin is going to bring up these false accusations about him, and that the false accusations are going to convince the Romans that he does, in fact, deserve death, and that he's going to die. And yet, once again, we see Paul with a very clear head in the situation. Paul had been a Pharisee, and so he knows how this whole governing structure worked. There's likely 71 different rabbis that make up this tribunal 
that are going to judge Paul. So all eyes are on him. But what he knows is that there's both Pharisees and Sadducees in the crowd. Pharisees are the orthodox guys. They're the guys who believe in the resurrection from the dead. Sadducees are more liberal theologians who don't take the Bible literally and don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They're sad, you see. That's what I've heard before. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Paul notices this, recognizes this, and so he cries out with a loud voice, right? I'm on trial today because I believe in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees are like, we like this guy. And the Sadducees are like, we don't like this guy. Paul's obviously doing this incredibly strategically. So all of a sudden, no longer are the eyes on Paul, but the Pharisees and Sadducees are just looking at each other, and the whole room just breaks out in absolute chaos. And so the trial never happens. <laughs> and you, you look at this and you're like, this is absolute genius on Paul's part. The way that I would describe the way that he acted is he acts with shrewdness. Okay, here's the definition of shrewdness. To be shrewd is to be sharp in practical matters. So although Paul is courageous and bold, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that he's just a loose cannon. He's just always shooting his mouth off without thinking and just letting the chips fall where they will because that's not true. At times we see him speaking truthfully with a ton of boldness, but at times we see him showing shrewdness. And I think this is a very practical point for us as a church. Because many of you, what you wrestle with in your work or in school is how do I actually go about being a bold witness for Jesus without being obnoxious? How do I act shrewdly? And one of the answers I have for you is, I don't know. <laughs> right? There's a thousand different applications to this message. But what I want to say to you is, Jesus will lead you. Jesus is with you. He'll show you when to speak with boldness and when to back off, what to say, and what to do when the time is right. Jesus himself said, don't plan out what you're going to say beforehand. But when the Spirit comes, he's going to show you what to do. You can trust him. I was reminded of this. My dad recently went to a funeral of a man who was in his small group Bible study. And there was a friend of this man who got up 
in front and was sharing about his life. He had been a teacher, actually in Bloomington, Minnesota, elementary school teacher. And there were a couple really cool things that he did. One was he would get to school an hour before all of the other employees. And he would walk from classroom to classroom in this elementary school, and he would pray over each class. And the other thing he would do is at the end of the day, when it was cold outside, he would go from classroom to classroom after all the kids had left, and he would collect keys from everyone in the school, and he would go out into the parking lot and start people's cars when it was cold so that to drive home they could jump into a warm car. So anyway, the administration basically caught on that he was getting to school early and was walking around praying for everybody. I think there was a little bit of jealousy involved because he's a really popular teacher. And the administration actually told him that he couldn't do that because you can't pray in schools. And so here's what he did. He didn't say anything. He just kept doing it. And pretty soon, this administrator was actually asking him if he would pray in his office because he had told him that that's something that he didn't want him to do. You see, there's going to be a thousand different applications to this message. You're going to be challenged by different authorities. You're going to be put in different crazy situations in your life. And there's going to be many different steps of courage that we're going to be asked to take. But no matter where you're going, Jesus is with you. You can take courage because as you walk in obedience to him, he will stand with you and show you what you are to say in the real circumstances of your life and what you are to do. And in that way, you will be his witness. Guys, let me share just personally how this works in my life. I've told some of you this before. I don't like public speaking, okay? I have been terrified of public speaking my whole life. And God is a comedian, and so he often calls you to do things that you never saw yourself doing. And so every week, as I'm sitting in my seat before I come up here to teach the Bible, I recite this verse to myself from 2 Corinthians 12.9. This is what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. How do you face the challenges that you have with courage in your daily life? You bring your weakness to Jesus. 
You simply say, I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I'm making headway. I don't feel like I'm being an effective witness for you. Would you help me? Would you turn my weakness into strength by your power? Because I can't do it. And then you say, I believe that all I need is your grace. Me plus your grace equals power. Let's pray and ask Jesus to fill us with this type of power. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you don't recruit um, like the Marines where we've got to come strong and in shape and ready to fight the battle. But you, um, you say that we can come as we are, weak, afraid, um, inadequate, and that you haven't given us a bunch of disconnected commands that we go accomplish and then report back to you, but you promise that you'll be with us every step of the way. So I ask Jesus that you would remind us that you're present with us, that you love us, and would you give us opportunities to share your grace with others. In Jesus' name, amen.